Our only hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, go to plainfieldchristian.com. Enjoy today's podcast. To those of you who just got back from traveling for spring break, uh, welcome. We're glad you're back. You're looking so nice and tan. And the rest of us who stayed back, didn't you guys love the balmy, tropical Indiana April that we got this week? You Florida people really missed out, let me tell you, on the ice age. Good grief. Um, I, I read this week about some farmers back in the old days up north on the Great Plains, and uh, to prepare for blizzards, sometimes they would tie a rope on the back outer door handle of their house, and they'd string this rope all the way across the yard to the barn so that if a snowstorm came up and they were in the barn, they could find their way back and forth to the house. And I just want to use that as a little bit of a metaphor for what we're going to do here in our time together this morning, um, because uh, on the Great Plains, these storms, they could blow up really quickly. And if you were unprepared and you got caught out in a blizzard without some kind of rope to hold on to, it was very easy to get disoriented. Sometimes people would end up walking around in circles in their yard. And, and tragically, sometimes people would, would freeze to death just within feet of their back door, just because they didn't know where to go. And so this rope was their hope that like if they could stay holding on to the rope, not only would it bring them stability, but it would also bring them direction so that they could know the way home. And so today, I just want to give you a rope to hold on to. In the middle of the whiteout of the chaotic world that we are living in, I want to give you a rope to hold on to. And we're going to do something a little bit different today because our text for today is a little bit uh, different. We're in this series, some of you might know, uh, through the book of Daniel. We've been in it several weeks, and uh, Daniel's a book in the Old Testament of your Bibles, which is the portion of your Bible that happens before Jesus was born. And we've been talking about what it means to be faithful to God in Babylon, how to live out our faith, how to live for God in a world that does not welcome our convictions. And so today, we're in Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to be looking at a vision that God gives to Daniel. He gives Daniel a dream. And uh, we got a big crowd here this morning. I know why you're here, and I'm really sorry to disappoint you. I'm not gonna be taking my shirt off today. I'm very sorry. If you don't get the joke, you should watch the sermon from last week, okay? Um, To be honest with you, I don't have much practical life advice for you today. I'm not gonna tell you what to do this morning. And here's why I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because when you come to church, I hope a lot of things happen. When you come to church, I hope that the music fills your soul. And when you come to the church, I hope, like Morgan said, that you make some deep relational connections with people that you can follow Jesus with. And I hope that the message encourages you. I hope you find a place to serve here and use your gifts. I hope you walk out of here every week with some really clear action steps for what to do, what God is calling you to. But more than anything else, What we want for you is that when you come into this place, you have an encounter with the living God. More than anything else, when you're here, we want you to meet Jesus. Because if you remember one thing I say today, I want you to remember this. Our hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. Our only hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. 
Uh, There's a preacher by the name of John Piper who decided to put this theory to the test. And so one day he was preaching on Isaiah chapter six, which is this story of an encounter that the prophet Isaiah has with God and just describes this incredible glory of God. And so John Piper decided that for this particular sermon, he wasn't gonna give a single word of application. He wasn't gonna tell them what it meant for their lives. He wasn't gonna tell them what to do. He was just gonna paint this brilliant picture of the greatness of God and see if that in and of itself could meet the needs of these people. And so John Piper did just that. Now what John Piper did not know was that that previous week in their church, there was a family who'd been through a really horrific experience. They discovered that one of their children had been being abused by a relative. Just this tragic, awful, horrific thing. Some of you know the sheer violence of that kind of pain. And that family going through that horrific experience, they were in church that week sitting under that particular sermon. Now, some of us, if we would have been there and known what's going on with that family, we might've looked at John Piper and tried to give him a little bit of pastoral advice. And we might've said, hey man, like, listen, can't you see your people are hurting? You gotta come down off your ivory tower, get out of the heavens here for a minute, give them something practical, give them something to walk out of here with. You gotta help these people, John. And yet, John Piper, he preached this sermon on the greatness of God. And, And a few weeks later, the father of that young child came up to John Piper and he said, John, These have been the hardest months of our lives. But do you know what's gotten me through? It was that vision that you gave us of the greatness of God's holiness. That has been the rock that we could stand on. Our hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. So whatever season of life you're in this morning, whether you're in here and you're flying high in a season of victory or you are low right now and you're discouraged from a defeat, whether you are in here and it's a season of grief and loss or of anxiety and fear, whether it's a season of joy and hope and anticipation or if it's just a season of busyness and craziness, whatever season you're in this morning, you need a rope. You need a rope to hold on to in the middle of the chaos and there's only one rope worth holding on to. It's him. You see, we are people of the gospel and the gospel is not primarily good advice. It's good news. It's the good news announcement that we're gonna grab a hold of today. This hope-filled news that there's a God in heaven, that he is real, that he is still sitting on his throne, that he sent his son to rescue us and that we can be people of resilient hope because we are citizens of an unshakable kingdom. That's the good news. We're gonna hold tight to it today, okay? So I'm gonna tell you this story this morning from Daniel chapter seven, and I'm gonna tell it in three parts, and here's part number one. The kingdoms of earth are in chaos. The kingdoms of earth are in chaos. Daniel chapter seven, here's the scene. The longtime king of Babylon, by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, is gone now, and his son Belshazzar has just come to the throne. So it's this season in the empire of political upheaval and turmoil and uncertainty, and in the midst of all this confusion and chaos, God gives Daniel a dream. Now listen, we're not gonna dive too deep into this dream today. I hope you'll go read Daniel chapter seven on your own this week. And when you do, when you read this dream, you're gonna think that somebody should have given Daniel a drug test, all right? Have you guys, have you guys ever had those dreams where it's really, really vivid to you and then you try to describe it to somebody and it sounds like Alice in Wonderland? You know what I'm talking about? Like, man, I was being chased by this giant pancake and I was running through the bowling alley, and, but I was able to escape because I jumped off the diving board into this tidal wave of Kleenexes and by God's grace, thankfully, Sylvester Stallone was there to save me from Mr. T. You guys had those dreams? This is just me, right? 
And, and as you read Daniel 7, you're going to get that vibe a little bit, but we're going to take just a snippet here. Daniel chapter 7, verse 2. Here's what Daniel says. Daniel says this, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four giant beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. So it's not just that he ate some spicy food last night, right? Like God gave him this dream, and this dream means something. And throughout the Bible, the sea, the ocean, is this symbol of chaos. And these beasts here, these four beasts, symbolize four of the great empires throughout history. So what Daniel's dreaming here is that there's these four empires emerging out of the chaos to wreak havoc onto the world. Now, we're not gonna dive too deep into other details besides that because I don't wanna miss the forest for the trees this morning. The point is this. God gives Daniel this dream to pull back the curtain on the spiritual realities of his day. God's saying, hey, Daniel, this is not just a collision of empires and emperors and wise men. This is a spiritual battle for the heart of God's people. It was true back then, and it's true today. We talked about this in our Ephesians series a few weeks ago, how there's a whole lot more going on in our world than just what we can see with the naked eye. Paul says it like this. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul says, for our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. Your enemy is not other people. It's but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So here's what that means for you. That means that when your marriage is growing distant, or when your kid makes a really stupid decision, or when there's a manipulative power struggle in your workplace, or when Ukraine is in chaos, or when we get disgusted by the corruption in our world of people in authority, um, that's not just people making bad decisions. We have a real spiritual enemy who's alive and active and he's out seeking to steal and to kill and to devour. And he's gonna keep doing it until Jesus comes back. And so until Jesus comes back, the kingdoms of this world are always going to be at chaos because the devil is at work in every single one of them. So when Daniel is confronted with this truth, when God kind of pulls back the curtain and shows him that truth in this dream, verse 28, Daniel says this. He says, I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale. Like, no kidding. Mine would too. So in the face of this upheaval, this turmoil, this uncertainty, this chaos, what's the rope we hold on to? What gives us stability and direction? And as Daniel sees a vision of this chaos down here on earth, all of a sudden his dream in this vision, it cuts to scene number two. And scene number two is not the next scene. It's actually a simultaneous scene. It's like he's looking at a split screen television. And down here, we've got all this turmoil down here on earth. And God's saying, but watch this. Look what's happening up here in heaven. And God reveals to him that even though it's chaos down here below, we all need a God who is above us. We need a God who's above us. That's point number two and scene number two of this vision here. Verses nine and 10, look what Daniel says. He says, as I looked, thrones were set in place. And the ancient of days, that's God, that's one of God's names, I love that name. The ancient of days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire. Its wheels were all ablaze. God's got a sweet ride, apparently. <laughs> a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. 
So Daniel looks up from this frantic madness of the world below and he sees a vision of the God above and he sees that the ancient of days is still on his throne. That must've been really good news for Daniel because he sees God surrounded by millions of the hosts of heaven and all throughout this book we've seen Daniel take a stand for God and a lot of the time he's taken that stand alone. Must've been really lonely. When you take a stand for God, sometimes it will be. He must've felt sometimes like, am I the only one? And God pulls back the curtain to show him, no, you were never alone after all. And God gives Daniel this vision in the face of all the difficulty and the uncertainty and the exhaustion that life brings. What did God give Daniel to deal with it? He didn't give him five tips for self-improvement. He gave Daniel a vision of himself. Our hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. Daniel gets a vision of God himself. So can we just pause right there for a minute? Can I tell you a little bit about what our our God is like, about who the ancient of days is? Let me give you just a few of his attributes that we see in the Bible. Number one is this, God is eternal. God is eternal. He has always been there. The Bible begins in Genesis chapter one, verse one, by saying, in the beginning, God just kind of assumes his existence. He's always been there. Psalm 90 verse two says this, before the mountains were born or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That means that he has no beginning. He has no end. means he's the author of time from Genesis to Revelation and eternity on both sides. He has been around long before time began and he will continue to be around long after time is done. Daniel says he's the ancient of days. I love that. You know, like if you're a parent, what do you say to your kids when they try to pull one over on you? Like when they try to fool you, what do you say? I wasn't born yesterday, right? And this here in Daniel 7, this is God leaning into the back seat of history and saying, hey, listen, Daniel, I wasn't born ever at all. The petty kings and kingdoms of this world, they can't pull one over on me. God is eternal. Second thing is this, God is self-sufficient. He has never needed anything. Paul says it like this in Acts chapter 17. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, he's the Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples built by human hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. That means that today, if we made two lists to categorize everything in the universe, And on list number one, we had all the things that are created, all the things that are subjected to the laws of nature, all these created things. We've got the universe itself. We've got physics, chemistry, biology, all those other subjects I wasn't good at, right? You've got the universe. You've got people, plants, animals, sky, sun, moon, stars, you and me, all of it. We're all on this list, all created things, all dependent on one another for survival. And then on list number two, the list of things that are uncreated, the things that are not subjected to the laws of nature, the things that are totally independent and free, on that list is God and nothing else. God is eternal. God is self-sufficient. And the third thing is this. God is unchanging. Morgan just talked about it. You know, everything in this world is constantly changing, isn't it? We're changing even if you're sitting still right now, even as still as you can, even if you're asleep right now, and many of you are. (laughs) Sleep well, my friends. May God have mercy on you. Um, (laughs) Kidding. I mean, even then, 
Your body's constantly producing millions of new cells every second. Your brain is processing tens of millions of bits of new information. Right now, our world, our planet is shifting. Mount Everest is growing right now at the rate of five centimeters per year. At this very moment, our planet is hurtling through the solar system at 66,000 miles an hour. The crust of the earth is shifting. The continents are drifting. Even the sun, like the sun should be the one thing we'd be able to rely on to not change, right? But the sun has gotten 50 million tons lighter just since I started talking about God being unchanging. Everything changes except God. Psalm 102 says it like this. It says, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like clothing. You'll change them and they'll be discarded, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. God is unchanging and that's good news for us because that means that provided that what we're saying about God is true today, that means that what we're saying about God has never been untrue at any point in history in the past, nor will it ever be untrue at any point in history in the future. We can trust that you're not gonna have to worry about whether or not you're catching God on one of his good days because he's always the same. The ancient of days is unchanging. He's eternal, self-sufficient, unchanging. And the fourth thing is this, God is all-knowing. He is all-knowing. Paul sings about this in Romans chapter 11. Paul says, oh, the depth of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who's been his counselor? God just knows everything. Now, you and I, we spend most of our lives trying to overcome our own ignorance, don't we? In America, we spend trillions of dollars every single year on education. What is education? Education is trying to overcome our own ignorance by gaining knowledge, right? Some of you work in this field. God doesn't need education. God has never learned anything. He just knows. God knows everything about the past. You could pick any date in the past. A thousand years ago today, April 3rd, 1022, God knows that on that date, there was a little baby girl named Lee who was born in China. And there was an old man in Italy named Antonio who died. And there was a young warrior in Kenya named Muchingatwa who just got married. And God knows on that day, the pattern that every bird flew through the sky, its flight path, and the pattern that every fish swam through the sea. He knows every thought that was thought on that day, everything that was purchased, every lie that was told. God knows everything that happened on that day in the past, even down to the molecular level. And God knows that for every single day in history. God knows everything about the past. He knows everything about the present. God knows how fast your heart is beating right now. And he knows the cares and the concerns that are on your heart. God knows the number of hairs on your head. I know the number of hairs that's on some of your heads. It's not that hard to count. <laughs> God knows what's going on in your head right now. God knows the clothes that you're wearing this morning and why you picked them out of your closet today. God just, he knows everything about the present and, and God also knows everything about the future. God knows history before it even happens. Isaiah chapter 46, God says this. He says, I am God and there is no other. There's none like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. That means that God has never said, whoa, didn't see that one coming. He's never been surprised. 
God knows every person who's ever won the presidential election in the past. He knows every person that will ever win the presidential election until Jesus comes back. God knows every person that has ever won an Olympic medal in the past, and God knows every person that will ever win an Olympic medal until Jesus comes back. God knows every time that IU has made the final four in the past. (laughs) And God knows when Jesus will come back. (laughs) That's just four attributes. We could go on and on and on. We could talk all day about who our God is, but for this moment in time, let's not also forget just where our God is. Back in Daniel chapter seven, where is God? Daniel says, I saw the ancient of days on his throne. God is on the throne right now. Psalm 113, the psalmist says it like this. He says, the Lord is exalted over all the nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Listen, the kingdoms of earth are in chaos. Everything down here is crazy, but we need a God above us, right? And we have one. And if God really does know the past and has ordained the future, can't we trust him with the present? We need a God above us and we have one because the ancient of days is still on his throne. And yet, and yet, I think if we're still honest, it doesn't totally resolve the tension inside of us, does it? Like maybe you're thinking what I'm thinking, that yes, I'm so thankful that God is on the throne and I do trust him. But what about when life down here still stinks sometimes? What about when it's hard? What about when it doesn't always look like he's in control? And and what about when I don't know what to do with my brokenness and my guilt? What about when I don't know how this dissatisfaction in my life is gonna get resolved? What What about that? I mean, does God really care? Because sometimes he just seems really far away. I mean, is there anybody who actually understands me, who gets it? Uh, A few months ago, Rebecca and I decided that it was time to take our boys camping. Uh, We loved to go tent camping together before we had kids. We hadn't braved it enough to try it when we had kids, though. But we decided, all right, we're going to do this thing. And so we circled this weekend on the calendar. We're going to take our boys camping on this weekend. It's April, right? Like, surely it should be warm enough to go camping by now. And we had this vision in our heads of, you know, running around and hiking and catching fish by day and singing songs around the campfire at night. It was just going to be this wonderful family experience. And then this weekend came. It's been below freezing every single night and it's sleeting and it's nasty and it's gross. And we're like, this is a horrible idea. We shouldn't do this. But you know what? We decided, no, we're raising men in this house. (laughs) We're going camping, by golly. (laughs) And so we did. Uh, Thursday afternoon, went down and, you know, I I pitched the tent and got the tent set up. And guys, it was cold. It's really cold. And I like trying to play tough, y'all. But here's the thing. Like I pitched the tent and about a hundred feet up the hill from where I pitched the tent, there's this big, beautiful lodge with central heat (laughs) and soft couches and snacks and like a roaring fire in the fireplace. And I'm thinking, you know, I think they'll be okay (laughs) in the tent. They'll be all right. They're, they're safe. I can lock the zipper, you know? And I can tell them, boys, you're fine. I'm going to be up there at the lodge. I've got this. I'll be watching you all night long. Nothing will happen. Nothing will come get you. I'll be up there with my hot cup of coffee. And I'll be watching you, sons. You'll be fine. I'll see you in the morning. But is that what my kids needed at that moment? No, they didn't just need dad above them, right? 
They needed dad beside them. And so me, being the wonderful and faultless father that I am, I got down on the ground with my children and I slept, barely, in the cold. And it was freezing and the wind was blowing, the snow was falling, the coyotes were howling. But you know what? In the middle of the night, we had a blast because my kids knew that dad's beside me. They could just reach out right there and grab me if they needed it. And we had a good time. And that's what we need, isn't it? It's good that God's above us, but sometimes, sometimes we just need God beside us. Somebody's just going to be there and be cold with us <laughs> to know that he gets it. And thankfully, that's what we have. Look at Daniel's vision, verses 13 and 14. Here's the third scene. Daniel says, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Can you imagine, like in the midst of this dream full of terrifying monsters and dazzling heavenly creatures and the indescribable glory of the almighty God himself, all of a sudden, in the midst of all this craziness, Daniel sees somebody who's human. It's a man, it's a, it's a guy. The son of man, he says. And Daniel must have been thinking, finally, somebody who looks like me. And this son of man, he's, he's human, but he's also, he's also more than human because he is doing divine things. He's riding on clouds and receiving worship and he's, he's ruling over a kingdom. He's some kind of God man, this son of man is. And so for the next 500 years after Daniel's dream, it would have been fair for God's people to wonder, who is this divine human going to be? Who is this son of man who's going to come when this dream is fulfilled? What will this God man be like? And then a little baby is born to a virgin. And he's not just any baby. He's a baby sent from God. It's the second member of the Trinity himself. This is the son of God wrapped in human flesh. It's the little God man. And they name him Jesus. And throughout Jesus' life and his ministry here on earth, you know, he could have gone by any title he wanted to. He could have called himself any of the magnificent titles that we see for him in scripture. He could have said, hi, I'm Jesus, the snake crusher. Hi, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm, I'm the rod of Jesse. I'm the prophet like Moses. I am the wonderful counselor, the everlasting father, the mighty God, prince of peace. I am Emmanuel. And Jesus would have been right to call himself that. He could have said, hi, I'm Jesus, maker of the finest tables in Nazareth and creator of the universe. <laughs> but do you know what Jesus' favorite title for himself was? We see it 68 times in the New Testament. Jesus loved to call himself the son of man. From right here in Daniel chapter seven, this dream, this text, this was how Jesus understood himself. So that means that when you're reading the Gospels, the story of Jesus' life in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John in the New Testament, and every time you see Jesus call himself the Son of Man, that's Jesus saying, I'm the fulfillment of this dream. I am the God-man from Daniel chapter seven. I am God above you who became God beside you. This is Jesus saying, I'm the Son of Man. Listen, world. Listen, people in chaos. I am the one who is like you. 
I have come to walk the roads that you walk. I have come to know the weakness that you experienced. I have come to feel the temptation that you feel and yet to be without sin. I have come to take your destiny and to give you mine. I have come to absorb all the suffering and the chaos and the sickness and the dysfunction and the disappointment and the darkness of this world. And I've come to absorb it upon myself and to give you my life instead. I am the son of man. It's amazing. Because when we read this dream here in Daniel chapter seven, it leaves us wondering, who is this human going to be? This this person, this man who's endowed with heavenly splendor and divine power and rules this eternal kingdom. What kind of kingdom will this be like? Will this be a kingdom of corruption and selfishness and greed and violence like the kingdoms of earth? And Jesus says, no. Luke chapter 19, he says, For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what kind of kingdom this is. Mark chapter 10, he said, for the son of man has come not to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. And in Mark chapter nine, he says, please let the full weight of this shock you. Look what happens to the God man. He says, the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. And they will kill him. And then after three days, he will rise. And and on the last night of Jesus' life, in his moment of what looks like utter defeat and ultimate weakness, as he is arrested and he's captured and he's convicted on trumped up charges by a kangaroo court, the high priest who's corrupt and who's over the whole thing asks him in Matthew chapter 26, the high priest says, I urge you under oath by the living God, that's ironic, tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And this, this is the crucial moment. This is the key question. The moment that all of Jesus's ministry has been building to, how will Jesus answer this question? What text do you think he will use to assert his divine royalty? You've said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. In other words, listen, you can kill me if you want to, but I am the Son of Man. I am the fulfillment of Daniel's dream and I will rise again and I will ascend on the clouds to the throne of the Ancient of Days and my Father in heaven will hand me all authority in heaven and on earth and on that day you will know that your petty attempts to usurp my kingdom have failed. And that's exactly what happened. And here's the beautiful thing about that. We talked in our Ephesians series about how the heart of this good news, the heart of this gospel is union with Christ. And we talked about it, it's like a dollar bill in a book. You put the dollar bill in the book and all of a sudden, what's true of the book becomes true of the dollar. Where the book goes, the dollar goes. And that's the same thing with us. When you follow Jesus, you experience union with Christ. You are in him, he is in you, and what is true of him becomes true of you. That means that Jesus came to take your destiny of defeat so you could have his destiny of victory. Jesus takes your destiny of death so that you could have his destiny of life. So now look back at Daniel chapter seven, verse 14. Let's read it again now in light of Jesus's death, resurrection, and ascension to the right hand of God the Father. Daniel says this. He says that Jesus 
was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. That in and of itself is good news. But the better news is that when you are in Christ, it's not just his kingdom, it's ours. And we're gonna get to rule with him someday. And Daniel even gives us a foretaste of this in his own vision here in verse 27. Daniel says, then the sovereignty, power, and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to who? To the holy people of the most high. That's us. That we're gonna get to rule in his kingdom, the everlasting kingdom, that all rulers are gonna worship and obey Jesus and that we're gonna get to join in in reigning with him someday. That we're gonna reign, God above us will come beside us and we're gonna get to reign over the kingdom side by side with the son of man. That's good news. Let's land the plane right here because we've said that our hope in a troubled world is an encounter with a triumphant God. And all of us someday are gonna meet God face to face. Someday you are going to stand before the ancient of days. And if you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I wanna warn you today in love that on that day when you stand before him, it will be the worst day of your life. Hebrews chapter 10 says, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The Lord will judge his people. It's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. You have heard the truth today, and that means that on that day, you will be without excuse. But the good news is, that the gracious king of heaven has thrown open the doors to his kingdom and he wants you to come and serve him. He wants you to be a part of his family. So please don't delay. There's an old church teacher by the name of Augustine who said it like this. He said, the son of God became the son of man so that you who were sons of men might be made sons of God. That's my story and it can be yours too. So surrender your life today. Please, I'm pleading with you. Do not delay. Do not put it off another day because the God above you loved you so much that the king of heaven and earth came to live beside you, to die for you so that you could live for him. I'd love to talk with you. I'm gonna be sitting up here for the rest of the service. You can come talk. And if you don't want to right now, I get it. But don't put it off. You can always go to the baptism tab on our website. We would love to walk with you to the cross of Jesus Christ so that you could be made new and discover new life and hope. You can have a rope to hold on to in him. And if you are in Christ this morning, keep holding on to the rope because the ancient of days is on his throne. There's an old hymn that I love. We've been uh, teaching it to our boys. It's called, This Is My Father's World. And in the last verse of the hymn, it says, this is my father's world and let me ne'er forget. It just means never. I don't know why they did that in the hymnals. It means never. This is my father's world and let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my father's world. The battle is not done. Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. That's our hope. That's the rope we cling to, that one day, in the same way that the Son of Man ascended to heaven on the clouds, he will come back on the clouds and he will establish his kingdom here, now, and forever. And on that day, his enemies will be defeated and he will hand us the kingdom. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 25, this is your future, read it carefully. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And we're gonna to get to reign with God over all creation and what is true today in principle will be true then in practice. 
And the Bible says of that day in Revelation chapter 11 that on that day, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. So in the chaos of life down here, just remember that we have a God above us, that the ancient of days is on his throne, and that we have a God beside us. Because the Son of Man has come, he has died, he has rose again. He ascended to the right hand of God the Father on the clouds. He will return on the clouds, and on that day, he will make everything new, and we will be with him. Let's pray. God in heaven, ancient of days, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You are good and wise, eternal and unchanging. You're strong and you are just. And so we praise you, Lord, that you have leveraged all of that eternal strength, not to condemn us, but to save us to send your son, the son of man, to come and walk the road we walk, to know our weakness, to know our fear. You know every heart here this morning. And so Lord, I'm asking just for my brothers and sisters in this room that you would instill within them your hope, that they would rest in your power and in your goodness, and that we would be faithful until the day you return. We look forward to that day, Lord, when you're gonna make everything new. And until then, we wanna live in your kingdom here and now on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.